always, with our hand on our heart, so grateful and so thankful that the love of God is where we are. It's shining fully and completely. So grateful and so thankful for the the wholeness, the harmony, the wisdom, the clarity, the inspiration that we are actively accessing here and now. We join together in the sincere desire to awaken from the dream of separation and to be a loving, healing presence on this planet. This is what I know we are. We are bringing benefit by our very presence. What I know is that we partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self to be in a consistent, ongoing divine download of inspiration and activation for awakening. We are grateful to claim it here and now without delay. We are grateful and thankful to allow it to unfold with ease and grace. We are grateful and thankful to join together in the love of God as the love of God fully funded by spirit. Our conversation is deeply healing and nourishing, and we are grateful and thankful to let it be so. In gratitude, we know it's done, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen. Yes, indeed. So grateful. So, uh, just a little FYI. Uh, Tomorrow, I'm going to visit uh, Jesse and his husband, Chris, and the two little boys, and I'm going to see them uh, Friday and Saturday in L.A., so I'm grateful for that. Oh. Elena, are you okay? What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, I just came back from the dentist, and I got an implant, so <laughs> everything is good, but I, I need to put this thing five minutes, so. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Golly gee. Uh, so uh, I had suggested to everyone that you read the uh, about the author section in Hawkins' book. Has anybody not done that? Has anybody not read the about the author section? Yeah, I, I highly recommend that you do that. It's uh, uh, I, I, I really feel that Hawkins for, for, is a scientist in a certain sense. He really has a scientific method that's very important to him, the kinesiology, and he is one who feels that it's important to set things up with that scientific method. How many of you have read Power Versus Force? Yeah. So when I recommend, I, 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 there were a number of people that I talked to when I first read Power Versus said uh, Force, when I first read it, um, that... People were saying to me, uh, oh, I started reading it. I just couldn't get through it. It was too dense. So I realized, oh, that first 50 pages of Power versus Force is a very technical 
explanation of how kinesiology works and why it works and his method of testing. It's just not a good way to begin a book. And this is how he begins this book, too, though I found it, it's not anywhere near as dense as power versus force. So that's why I had recommended, uh, at least I thought I had to, rec- to read about the author first. And then I realized, you know what, it's probably best people go from about the author to chapter two and then back to chapter one. <laughs> um, so uh, I do encourage you to read the about the author section. It's very potent and it's very inspiring. And when you read it, you realize the level of awareness of the man who's writing the book. And it gives you a different connection to what he is saying. So just to touch on that a little bit. So when he was a young boy, uh, he was, um, uh, I'm trying to remember how old he was. I want to say he was 11, 12, 13, 14, early adolescence. I think is what he's saying here, 1939. He was doing his paper route, which was a 17-mile route, and it was 20 below zero. He's out there on his bike. Good God, right? And he um, he had an accident on his bike, and he crawled into a snowbank. And he was literally, uh, he had a transformative, transcendent experience, a near-death experience, if you will, and uh, that was very powerful for him. And then later in his life, uh, he was a professor at Columbia University, right? He's a psychoanalyst. Um, no, I'm sorry. He, during World War II, he says... He was very sick, and he was at the end of his days. He was felt he was very near death at age 38. He said, I didn't care about the body, but my spirit was in a state of extreme anguish and despair. At the fi- As the final moment of his life approached, the thought flashed through my mind, he says, what if there is a God? So I called out in prayer, if there is a God, I ask him to help me now. I surrendered to whatever God there might be and went into oblivion. When I awoke, a transformation of such enormity had taken place that I was struck dumb with awe. The person I had been no longer existed. There was no personal self or ego. Only an infinite presence of such unlimited power that it was all that was. This presence. Let me just see somebody. A few people are unmuted. Um, this presence had replaced what had been me. And the body and its actions were controlled 
solely by the infinite will of the presence. The world was illuminated by the clarity of an infinite oneness that expressed itself as all things revealed in their infinite beauty and perfection. And so he goes on to describe what that feels like. And uh, Angela, did you read the about the author section in Hawkins? Yeah. So he talks about here, uh, uh, and this is what the zero state is that um, Dr. Hugh Lynn talks about. He says here, as life went on, the stillness persisted. There was no personal will. The physical body went about its business under the direction of the infinitely powerful but exquisitely gentle will of the presence. In that state, there was no need to think about anything. All truth was self-evident, and no conceptualization was necessary or even possible. At the no self, no conceptualization, no concepts, not even possible. In other words, no beliefs possible, only truth. At the same time, the physical nervous system felt extremely overtaxed, as though it were carrying far more energy than its circuits had been designed for. It was not possible to function effectively in the world. All ordinary motivations disappeared, along with all fear and anxiety. There was nothing to seek, as all was perfect. Fame, success, and money were meaningless. Fringed friends urged the pragmatic return to clinical practice, but there was no ordinary motivation to do so. There was now the ability to perceive the reality that underlay personalities. The origin of emotional sickness lay in people's beliefs that they were their personalities. And so, as though of its own, a clinical practice resumed and eventually became huge. So how many of you read Quimby's work? Yeah, so we did, we did Quimby. We, those who were in year two with me in 2016, you read Phineas Quimby's work, um, which is some of my favorite work on healing. And I haven't been called to go back to it yet. Um, so we may do that. I don't know how. You know, this is one of the things is that, like he's talking about here, no personal will. I find that uh, the more I progress in letting my beliefs go, of course I still have a personal will, uh, and I'm still working with that. but. I find that it mostly comes into play with things like, oh, I thought you said we were going to eat Mexican tonight. I was really looking forward to that. Okay. All right. I can get up for Italian. Yeah, that'll work. I love pesto. I just remembered I love pesto and salad. We're going to have a good time. Okay. I'm back again. You know, it's, it's more like that or I'm trying to explain things and I'm not very good at it. And then I feel a little frustrated with myself that I'm not able to explain things that have to do with websites and uh, stuff like that. So anyway, um, 
and I, I notice that I really go with feeling. And if my feeling changes, I drop, I'm able to drop it and not persist. You know, sometimes I'll buy something thinking, oh, I'd love to eat this. This will be delicious. And then it comes time to eat it. And I realize there's no part of me that feels good about eating it anymore. And so I, I'm like, okay, am I going to throw this away? Can I give it to somebody? What am I going to do with it? Because I'm not going to make myself eat it just because it's going to go bad and I paid money for it. But I used to do that, you know. My dad's a good example of that. One time he ate some hummus, homemade hummus that he'd made. He, there was mold on it. He scraped the mold off and he ate what was underneath and he got really sick. And I was like, yeah, dad, I don't know. What are you going to do? That's when I just say living and learning every day. So there is this underlying presence for all of us. And we can, we're on a path of choosing to live as it expressing rather than the personality. And it's a totally different way of living. And so it's, it goes on to say down here, the overall condition of the nervous system. Now he's talking about his own nervous system. He's saying the nervous system improved slowly. And then another phenomenon commenced. There was a sweet, delicious band of energy continuously flowing up the spine and into the brain where it created an intense sensation of continuous pleasure. This is the Kundalini energy. This is what he's talking about here. Now, um, as Angela knows, because she's studying the teachings of Yogi Bhajan, like I am, Yogi Bhajan says that the another name for the Kundalini is the Christ, Christ presence. So that's what he's saying, is he is feeling this intense pleasure of this Kundalini Christ energy rising up his spine. Also, in um, how many of you have ever done uh, Venerable's um, Sunray basic practice meditation? Have you ever ventured into her basic practice? I'm not. I'm not authorized to teach it, though. Perhaps this summer uh, I'll seek to become authorized, because her her basic meditation is one that is a it's a chakra clearing. It's a very expansive and, um, it, and it's also very much about repairing the light body. And, uh, and it starts with three flames in the root chakra, the, um, flame of compassion. It's a, a red flame, the blue flame of will and the yellow flame of wisdom and bringing them up through the spine all the way up. And um, and then it, it, that's just where it begins. It just begins there, and it goes on from there. Um, so then he goes on to explain that he had all these healings of all these maladies, and he then goes on to explain that uh, he he started to see thousands of patients. And people would be brought to him from all over the world, just like with Quimby, in a certain sense where they come, they're catatonic. They've been catatonic for years. 
right? So they're not saying anything. They're not acknowledging anything. They're just in a complete state of like suspended animation. And um, he's able to have a very simple connection in the mind with them. And they wake up instantly. They become, they start talking immediately and they're healed. People who are in a straight jacket convulsing, same thing instantly happens. See, to me, this is what you want to put at the front of the book because when you read that he worked with thousands of people and had these kinds of healings, it's the same with Quimby. Quimby's same story. Quimby was working, he wasn't in the same room with them like Hawkins is. But it's not necessary because we're all in the same room, always. We never leave the room, right? We're always in the same room together. And um, what I, I experience in reading Quimby's teachings and reading um, Hawkins is it's just like with Jesus, right? The blind man from birth, wilt thou be made whole? Yes. All right, bam, it's done. Because there's no opposition in that moment. The mind of God has no, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared to see. Wait a minute, what, I need to think about this. Hold on. I don't know, what, what, wait, there's none of that. There's just the instantaneous healing. And so in, um, and we were talking about this, Yesterday in uh, year three class. So if you feel uh, inspired by the conversation we're going to have today, you may wish to listen to the year three class. Yesterday you'll you'll experience a different version of a similar conversation. So in the in the early part of the book, what he says is that. When we re-own the source of our power and stop giving it away to the world, we find that the cause of our illness is not in the body, it's in the mind. So I just like to spend some time really looking at that because he writes it like it's just a sentence. But it's actually the cornerstone key to everything here. And this is what the entire Course in Miracles is about in many ways, at least as regards the body and illness. So what he's saying is when we re-own the source of our power, and I think his use of words there is really critical for us to, because he's not saying when you understand the source of your power. He's saying when you re-own it. So there is one source. Right. It's, it's always a relief to remember that every problem we have is an expression of a belief in duality. Every single problem we have is an expression of a belief in duality. There's one source because there's one power, because there's one life, because there's one mind. And that's how it works. One power, one life, one mind. I, I remember I had such a funny experience once when I was, um, I think it was when I was studying to be a practitioner, and we uh, had uh, to serve in, uh, we were required to do an internship and serve 
uh, in the prayer ministry. So uh, I'd go down to the prayer ministry, and sometimes I'd be there alone, sometimes I'd be there with somebody else, and we'd take turns taking whatever calls were coming in. And so I was there with my friend Mark, and um, we were – uh, one of the practices was when a new prayer practitioner came in, uh, the one who was there would pray that person in. And when one left, they would be prayed out. So it's just a lot of prayer. It was just wonderful. So I was praying. I can't remember. I was praying him out or praying him in or something like that. And I've known Mark for three, four years, right? We've been through all the classes together. And in all the classes, every single one of them, it's just hammered and hammered and hammered. One power. There's never two powers. It's just one life, one power, one mind. And so just as a joke, because I'm a, can be, you know, sometimes people get so serious. It's, it's like, we got to remember to laugh here. So I wanted, so I was praying him in and I started to say something like, um, so I'm grateful that God is, and, you know, I'm grateful that God pretty much seems to be mostly the most most of the power in the world, though sometimes, boy, it seems like there's another power. And sometimes that power, second power, seems real. Sometimes it seems like my parents have power. There's a lot of different powers in this world when you think about it. And he just, like, he was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He dropped my hands. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just kidding you, dude. I know there's one power. So, um, but sometimes somebody might not even notice. I knew Mark would notice, but anyway, it was just a joke. He laughed. Uh, but it freaked him out at first. <laughs> so, but, and that was, I, I, to me, he, he was, you know, you get so serious, you know. And Mike, Reverend Michael used to say sometimes, don't, don't be so ser- serious that you're no earthly good, you know. So, um, don't get so, he'd be like, don't get so airy fairy that you're not so, not any earthly good. Um, which we don't have any worry about that here with this group. No, none of these people. Uh, so, uh, owning the source of our power is what he said. When we re-own the source of our power, we come back into our right mind and we own the source of our power. Our power has a source that we can own. We can totally own it. We're not borrowing it. It's not being lent to us because we're one with God. So it's about re-owning the source of our power. He says, and, and as I was sharing in yesterday's class, to me, it often is helpful to really look at these things in terms of a budget. If you're deficit spending and you're miserable, you're, you're, not, you're, you're flailing about and you're failing, uh, then the, just on a financial, because it makes so much sense, it's easy to comprehend, right? You have a budget. If you are deficit spending, you've got a big debt, and you'd like to get out of that debt, of course you can just say, throw up your hands in bankruptcy and get out of there, which I think on a spiritual level, I, I do that all the time. Like I see like, oh, this is karma related to the thoughts I had about that. I, I'm just done with that, you know. I'm just 
whoa, not interested in that anymore. Uh, and I just, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm out of there. I'm out of there. However, if we just think about it practically, because it can be so overwhelming, how am I going to really reel in the source of my power? It's simply, if you're deficit spending, the simplest way, bring in more income, spend less. Increase your income, decrease your outflow. So the outflow is our judgments and our opinions and attaching to them, energizing them. I was talking about in the radio show this week, jealousy. Somebody had requested that I do a show about that, which is not a subject that's much covered. It's not really brought up at all in A Course of Miracles. But um, except it briefly says, you know, envy when you feel envy, but it doesn't specifically address it. But these jealousy, envy, anger, uh, hurt, all of these things are like a poison that we drink. And then we were, we make that poison so real. We feel sick. So this is what he's saying here. Stop giving away your power to the world. So when we, he's, he talks about how when we are having a challenge in the body, we've given our power away to the world. Any kind of challenge that we have, we've given our power away to the world. Uh, I have this conversation all the time now with people that are studying A Course in Miracles maybe in the first year or so, and they're telling me they're upset by something that's happening in the world. And I, you know, I really have just said, you have to realize, no, you're never upset by what's happening in the world. Never. Even if your husband is having an affair, that's not why you're upset. Don't believe it. Don't buy it for one second. You know, even if you've been exposed to asbestos, that's not why you're sick. Don't believe it. Don't allow yourself to believe it. I remember, has anybody read Autobiography of a Yogi? Anybody read that? Parmanansi Yogananda's book? Uh, Lawrence has. Um, and Lana has. Uh, it, it's, it's a dense book. It's a dense book. It's a big book. Uh, you can get it on audiobook. Um, amazing, amazing, amazing mystic. I'm not, I'm not really recommending necessarily autobiography of yoga, um, because I think there's more productive books to read, but I, I, I often recall that he was, um, overweight and he lost 50 pounds in three days, I think it was. Something like that. Because it was just time. And he had a miraculous transformation of his body. Do you remember that, Lawrence, in the book? Was that what it was? It was like three days or it was just a few days. It was less than a week. He lost 50 pounds. Let's work at the level of the mind. Let's work at Not that you can't. Of course, it's like I remember that um, one time Reverend Michael was teaching and – Somebody's, he was teaching about how you can transform, transmute the chocolate into the vibration of broccoli. 
And he was kidding around and playing around, but he was saying, you can, you really can transmute the energy of chocolate into broccoli. Now, of course, we all know that chocolate's a high antioxidant. It's not bad or anything like that. But um, that was his mindset. He had a thing about eating chocolate. But believe me, I'd seen him eat chocolate cake. Like, wow, did you eat that that fast? That was, wow, you, what are you, did anybody see you eat that? I don't know what that was. But anyway, um, uh, and somebody said to him, so we can eat hamburgers, like McDonald's hamburgers, and transmute it into um, kale, broccoli. And he said, yes, it's possible, but can you do it? Can you do it? Does your mind have the ability to do it? And so to me, the thing is, let's bless everything in our lives. Let's receive everything as a blessing. Let's really live that way in and out and in and out and become so committed to when there is a thought, I need to escape this world. I have that thought on a regular basis. Like, oh, this world is so dense. I just, oof. right now I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. And then it might be the next day. It might be a couple hours later. I'm looking at a tree or I've had a conversation with someone and I'm like, oh, my God, this life is so good. I love this world. I love this life. I love it here. So we allow ourselves to have our feelings so they can just move through, just not attach meaning to everything. And that's what he's talking about there in that about the author section. So when we re-own the source of our power and stop giving it away to the world, we find that the cause of our illness is not in the body, it is in the mind. Let us accept this as a fact and look for all the excuses that we're making. All of them. And when we see the excuses that we're making or the, the beliefs that we have, the reasoning that we have, let's remember to laugh. Let's really remember to laugh. Let's throw our heads back and laugh and go, ha, ha, that's so crazy. That's exactly what Hawkins did in his life. He would laugh and laugh and laugh. And there are many things that we can do to surround ourselves with support and help. I remember that, and you, those of you who have children and grandchildren, you'll really appreciate this. Someone asked him, I, I saw him speak, Venerable and I saw him speak together one time in L.A., and he was saying that somebody asked him, what can we do to help the littlest children? What can we do to improve the start of their lives and really support them from the earliest ages? What are some of the most helpful things we can do? And he said, without hesitation, surround them with beauty. Introduce them to beauty. Beautiful things, beautiful sights, beautiful things they can touch, beautiful music. Surround their world with beauty because it has such a high vibration. 
It's so uplifting and inspiring. It's healing. It's nourishing. Now, I'm adding a few words that he didn't add. But this I know to be true. You know, Venerable calls her teachings the beauty way. And this is one of the things that I, I think I just intrinsically knew from a young age. And I was always seeking beauty. And I love to go to places like the mansions of the wealthiest people uh, as museums and see all the beautiful things. And it's just so uplifting and inspiring. And many people don't bother to have beautiful things. So, um, and this is not a criticism, but you can begin to add beauty in the simplest ways. Like for me, I love to have orchids. But you can have beauty by having a, a Kleenex box that's in a beautiful decoration or in a beautiful container versus just the most generic, cheapest box of Kleenex. There are so many places here in the United States where you can go, uh, you can go to Ross stores, you can go to Marshalls, you can go to Home Goods, and you can get really beautiful things for really inexpensively. Because I've done it many, many times. Because I'll be in a place for a month and I just would like to make it a little more beautiful, but I can only spend 20 or 30 dollars. And so what can I get for 20 or 30 dollars that, you know, a beautiful piece of cloth? Like I go into a hotel room, I cover up the television with a beautiful piece of fabric because I'm not going to be watching the television. So I don't need to see that big black scar on the wall, right? And if you're in your home, you could cover it. I, um, I know uh, when I lived in New York and I had a television, I, um, and in LA too, people would say, is that your television over there? And I say, yeah. And they're like, oh, that's interesting because I would have it covered with a beautiful cloth. Um, or I'd have it pushed in a way that it was clear. I, I had to pull it out, plug it in and, you know, set it up in order to use it because I was interested in discouraging myself from just plopping down and hitting the remote. You know, I'd put the remote in a drawer away. It wasn't easy. You had to really be like motivated to go and start watching it. So there are just many things that we can start to do to keep turning our vibration higher and higher and higher. Um, and asking the angels to guide us to the beautiful things. Uh, to me, one of the most beautiful things you can have is an arrangement of a bowl of uh, fresh vegetables or fresh fruit. And um, you can find the most beautiful bowls so inexpensively in those kinds of stores or in a garage sale. I've gotten so many beautiful things for a dollar at a garage sale. And so these are just some thoughts. If there are things around your house that are not attractive, they're kind of an eyesore or hideous, put a beautiful cloth over them. 
you can, if you don't need them all the time, put them away between uses. Start to clear and arrange things so that your mind is not constantly distracted. That's really what it's about. Um, I have so many conversations with people who are distracted by the clutter in their home. That's what it's for. Complaining about the clutter, there's another distraction, right? Been there, done that, learned from it. So on a daily basis, we're reowning the source of our power and stop giving it away to the world. So what I'd like to do is, is, um, I would like to, we're going to go into a breakout here. And the question that I'm going to invite you to, well, actually, let me say just before we do that, does anybody have anything they'd like to share or add or ask before we go into a breakout? No? Okay, great. So we're going to go into a breakout here. And the question I'm asking you to entertain is, why wouldn't we wish to re-own the source of our power? Why would you wish to delay that? We're ultimately going to completely re-own the source of our power. Why are we engaging in all these delay taxes, tactics? What is the cause of the delay? If we could have an experience like Hawkins, where he awakens, of course he was on the brink of death, but you don't have to be. Paramananda Yogananda was not on the brink of death when he awakened, not at all. So we can have an awakening experience. People do it. Saul on the road to Damascus, that's what happened for him. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was considered to be, if I recall correctly, he was uh, a bitter, wealthy, obnoxious man who thought he knew best about everything. And he despised the Christians. He was on the road to Damascus. He saw this blinding light that he came to know was Jesus, the spirit of Jesus. He had an instantaneous healing. He changed his name from Saul to Paul, and he became the great proselytizer of the teachings of Jesus. Right? This was not a guy who was eating vegan and living in an ashram. He was not uh, studying anything. He was, you know, you know, in a sense, it would be like if Donald Trump was on the road to Damascus, right? I mean, he wasn't a political leader per se. He was a religious persecutor, but... It was like, you know, David Duke, the head of the KKK, suddenly. And this is the thing, is I I remember years ago, uh, back in the 90s, on Oprah, uh, 
I saw this story about this young man who had been a Nazi skinhead in the United States. He, his parents were Nazis. He was raised as a Nazi, I mean American Nazis. And he was raised to uh, in this hatred, right, this seething hatred and going to all these clan meetings and all this stuff. And he had all these t tattoos and the whole nine yards happening. This was his whole cult and his culture. He was totally identified with it. And he was, I think he was about 18 or 19 years old, something like that. He was, a, I believe, a teenager. And he was, I remember the story, he was walking beside a lake with his girlfriend that he really cared for, and they were holding hands. And he said he looked down at her hand, and he felt how much he loved her. And in that instant, he absolutely knew that everything that he had learned and been teaching about hatred was 100% incorrect, that love was the way. And he did a turn on a dime. He had to, you know, incur the wrath of his whole community, be ostracized from his family. But he knew that love was the way. He could not go one more step in that old way. Same as Saul becoming Paul. And then he became a proselytizer for love. And for giving up that way and finding a better way. So this, this is the story of our glory that we can accept for ourselves. So I'm asking you to, in your breakout, to consider why wouldn't you wish to re-own your power? Why wouldn't you? All right. So what did you learn about the reason that you haven't yet fully re-owned the power, the source of the power in your mind. What have you learned? What can you share? Linda. I can't unmute. There you go. Okay, I got it. Um, but it's really about our resistance to letting go of the beliefs that we have, of the things that we've um, learned since childhood about our about the world. Yeah. So what's that resistance about? Wanting to be right <laughs> instead of happy. Yeah. So... Let's drill down into that. Why is being right all the while knowing you're not right? I mean, you know, I used to argue for my beliefs and my perspective. Uh, and, you know, literally I would practically tear somebody's head off or try to shove it down their throat, or I'd be willing to walk away forever from the relationship if I felt threatened because somebody thought I was wrong or bad. What's that about? Like why? I always knew deep down, I, you know, this is, this is not a good strategy. Mm -hmm. 
not working, but I still felt so attached to it. What's that about? Uh, well, for me, I think part of it is um, not wishing for others to view me as unintelligent or um, ignorant or... I mean, it's really, it's about separation. It's about me keeping them at arm's length because being separate from them is safe. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's just break that down because uh, sometimes the best thing is, uh, you, some of you have heard me use that analogy. I, I'm just going to, Suggest that you mute and unmute when you're talking, Linda, because there's some kind of feedback. Sorry about that. Noise. Yeah. So, but I, I wouldn't wish you to think that I wouldn't wish you to respond or something. Um, for me, it was a very helpful analogy to think of that we've we've lived our lives in our current incarnation uh, and, and maybe combined with previous incarnations. We've we lived in such a way that the things that we didn't like or that bothered us, it's kind of like we just put it in the garage. Like, oh, I can't think about that anymore. I'm just going to leave that, put that in the garage, right? And so think some of the things in the garage are just, you know, dead things that have now become skeletons, right? They're no longer decomposing. They're just dead, you know. There's just the, the fur and the skeleton there. And some things have actually festered and created little things, little stink bombs or moldy little things. And there's um, a good lo a lot of paperwork and old clothes and costumes and just a whole, you know, litany of things in there. And that with all the light pouring in since, let's say, the harmonic convergence back at the, in uh, 87, 88, whenever that was, um, ever since then, more and more light pouring into our third dimensional experience, into our awareness, so that more and more we can see what's here. So it's like saying, opening the doors to the garage and turning on all the lights in the garage and saying, okay, do I need any of this anymore? Or can I actually just have someone come and take it all away? Do I feel a need to go through every box and see what I want to hold on to? Or can I just say, let's just bring in some people and let's have them take down that garage and everything with it and haul it off to become compost somewhere. So there's different strategies and different people choose different strategies. So, what you, on a very practical basis in Masterful Living, you particularly, Linda, been here for a number of years, and you have developed incredibly intimate, transparent relationships with a lot of the people whose faces we can see right now, and more people. Very transparent, very authentic relationships. So where does your safety lie? Does it lie in hiding, covering up, or do you feel more safe being totally transparent with someone that maybe you've never been in person with, right? 
but you see them on a video screen or you talk with them on the phone. Maybe you get to see them now and then. Where does your safety really lie in terms of, like, if you locate it in your body, that sense of, oh, I feel safe now. When do you actually feel safe? When I can take a deep breath and relax, I can feel it in my heart and in my lower abdomen. So the willingness to let that wall down. And so is there any part of that that is is attached to needing to be right or to defend yourself or make someone else wrong? I would say that's just because it was, it's something that I have learned from very, very young age, that it was important to appear to be intelligent and at the same time getting that mixed message that I was not quite it, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, even just saying that out loud, I can feel like now that it's out there, <laughs> it's kind of like I can let it go. Yeah. I mean, I know you and I think of you as uh, I, I, definitely an intelligent person or I never would have offered you a job at the ministry for sure. Right. I didn't do that to be nice. I did that because I know you're smart and you're reliable. I know your heart. You have many, many qualities that I was looking for in someone. And my intuition said, Linda's the perfect candidate and, and you've done a terrific job. And I'm very grateful for all your, your, Wonderful work. And um, and one of the things, just as an aside, really, because it feels like such an important and valuable point for us, I, I learned uh, a long time ago that there really are different types of intelligence, right? Intellectual intelligence. Um, I... I had this experience once, I've talked about it a few times, where my nephew Ben asked me to draw a picture of a mouse. And I said to him, you know, I'm really not good at drawing things, Ben. He was six years old. He was like, please, please help me. I need to do this for school. So I was like, okay. So I drew this extremely rudimentary stick figure mouse. And he went like this, Oh. He rolled his eyes. He scoffed at me, his little six-year-old preciousness. And I, I was like, dude, I told you. I warned you this is not my skill set. And then he sat down and he drew a beautiful mouse. It was literally ten times as good as the mouse I had drawn. I was like, what do you need my help for? You're, you're, you're fantastic. So, and... Um, you know, I think of Venerable and her ability to make music and write music and things like that is 
I don't, I don't have that, but I have other kinds of intelligence. And so, uh, we, we all have different skills and talents. And I've yet to meet anyone who isn't brilliant in some way. Absolutely brilliant. And then I always do remember, and I've said this recently, that the, in Testimony of Light, that Francis says there's this one person here in the home who was such a loving person on earth. We all just want to be around her. She wasn't particularly smart. She didn't particularly accomplish a lot. But she was just really loving in her life. And she has such a, exudes such an energy that we all want to be around her. And when I read that the first time, I just thought, well, that is for sure not me. But I, I, I can aspire to that. I can aspire to put aside my intellectual goals and say, you know what? This is the proof that I need that these intellectual goals of accomplishing things in this world are meaningless. That what is meaningful is, as the Beatles said, in the end, it's the love that you make is the love you take. And so it's that, being in the giving and the receiving of love. So we don't have to go through and cognize these things one by one or look at them. But it does help for us to look at them as a group. We can identify more of them because like Linda is sharing that. Who, who feels uplifted and aided, helped, supported by what Linda just shared? Yeah, everyone. So because we all have our version of that. So say again, if you would, Linda, what is it that is more valuable to you than owning the source of your power? Or has been until this moment now? <laughs> until this moment. Um... Fear. Say, can you say anything more about what, why that's been, or anything you understand about that? Well, it would be fear of being found out that I'm not what I want people to perceive me to be. Would you be able to say that another way to describe that would be protecting? Yes. Visibility of your littleness. Hiding yes. your littleness. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So when we put it that way, does that tell you anything? Uh, that it's all bullshit. <laughs> for one thing. Um, and for another, that I'm really not interested in it anymore. Yeah, can you have any little, is there any real littleness? No, because my mind is the mind of God. It's really that. We don't have to believe it. We really don't have to believe it, but we, we must affirm it. 
You know, like I could believe that white people are superior, right? I could believe it. But I could also say I don't wish to believe that anymore. But everything that my family raised me, which is not true, but let's just say everything that, like I was like that skinhead guy, that everything my family told me was that I'm superior because I'm white. But I don't wish to believe that anymore. I can give that thought away and it can be dissolved and resolved very quickly. So it really is recognizing that the beliefs are not helpful to us. We don't have to understand them or even know what they are in order to give away. So when we see that we believe that the world has power over us and that we're sick because of something in the world, we're upset because of something in the world, where anything because of something in the world, that right there, that fundamentally, that's all we need to know, to know that we've lost our mind and we have decided that something else is the source of our power. And not give it credence anymore. Thank you, Linda. Anybody else like to share? Angela. Yeah, what I was sharing was about, and this was my forgiveness project, to really explore the ways that I feel my own body deceives me. Like my own body will tell me, in Kundalini, you know, hold your arms, Elena, here you go. You know, and the point is to, it's not that you can't put your arms down, I was sharing. It's not that you can't take a break. It's not that that makes you weak or anything. It's only that what I take breaks because I'm reacting to my mind, which says, ow. Ah, you know, sometimes I'm like freaking and it brings up a lot of anger that I'm feeling daggers in my shoulders. But the thing is, is that I'm I'm not trying to prove something, but I'm so curious that my body's first reaction may not be the most helpful, may not be the truth, is not the truth. It's it's so I feel like what I'm trying to do is unlearn discomfort as a label because it's a block and then I, I've been watching this show just two episodes of like these master builders and they have this vision for a, a house and they go through so many challenges they don't anticipate and then they go through it it takes longer it takes more money and but what I'm learning from it is like this is what my mind doesn't want to experience doesn't like to think if I'm pursuing something big that I that I can I don't know it's just like these bumps in the road where you want to contract again and say oh forget it I knew it I can't do it and I'm loving this show as a metaphor for just hold the vision listen uh, Spirits using that to, to for these people to see like can you trust trust your vision? I'll th you know you know sliding in the foundation. You know you're gonna quit then, and so it's just kind of like when are you gonna quit? What's gonna make you quit something? And I think it's not about even if our body is really failing us, it's like are you quitting knowing your truth? Are you quitting knowing you are a loving presence? Are you giving up on yourself? Are you giving up on what you can do and so these are the ways that I was taking this to mean that my, why, why I wouldn't plug into source is because I'm believing all these ideas about 
discomfort, pain, I don't want to, it's hard. And that's what I'm going through. Yes, and you know what? It's not necessary for us to go through that, but I think we all do go through that in our way, in in different aspects of our life. Uh, and I can relate to that, Angela, because, for instance, when I first, the first Living a Course in Miracles class that I did, I I've said, you probably have all heard me say, Thank God I had no idea what would be involved. Thank God I didn't know that it would personally cost me $35,000 that I did not have, you know. Thank God that I didn't know that I would be working 60 hours a week for many weeks, uh, you know, two months or whatever it was. Thank God I didn't know I would have to make 2,000 decisions about things that I didn't give a rat's ass about, you know, like little wording things and little color things and little widgety things and like, good Lord, it was so much. But it just, and I, you know, once I got in, you know, I couldn't stop. And I just thanked God that I had no clue because I felt the energy of it. And I felt like, oh, this beautiful energy is so expansive. The light pouring out, sharing around the world. I didn't know it was going to come down to, like, trying to chisel something with a hammer and this thing, little pieces, you know. I mean, you wonder if Michelangelo, when he was making David halfway through, if he went to, like, some place of, you know, like, sweet Jesus, this is hard. Good Lord. Right? So it's, it's all, and, and that's the essence of yoga is it is an opportunity to work at the level of the mind using your body. That's really what yoga is about. And then it has all these wonderful benefits of, uh, the shifting of the energy and the clearing of the field and the development of the nervous system. But that, you know, the working with the mind and the nervous system are, foundation that's fundamentally what yoga is mostly about any kind of yoga discipline yeah thank you for sharing that anybody else robin um yes thanks angela and that reminds me how i said i was going to start doing yoga and i still haven't but i started walking so that's good um i want to go back to something that you asked linda where do you feel safe and i she said her breath and that's what my thought was and the safest place that i feel is when I turn inward and I rest mm. in that sacred place. I mean, that's, and so that is part of my AIG, my aspiration is to rest in God. And it's kind of a mantra that I'm trying to hold on to because I, I feel like I can't 
there's so many blessings and so I mean, the things that I'm going through are just like I know uh, they've been tailored, but I'm still stuck in this old way of uh, things in my past. Uh, you know, those feelings of not feeling good enough, smart enough, belonging, just hold on, those feelings of I'm bad and wrong. And I I mean, I can, I can see my expansion and knowing and understanding that none of that is true, that that is not the truth. And yet the courage to step through the other side. Anyway, so I'm just going to... Hold on to that thought of going to the breath, which is my practice, uh, and knowing that I will, I will, I will. I wish I didn't have to delay it, that I could own the source, but I will just keep that faith and practice in my breath and in that resting, in that, in God. So, thank you. That's all I can do right now. It's a lot. It's being present with the love of God in the moment. Yes. And deeply healing. Yes. It's not a little thing, Robin. You're right. It's not a little thing. Yeah, that, that's exactly what Buddha would do. And, and that, is my, that is my saving grace. That is just having that, that I can rest in God in any moment. And I can feel safety is that is huge. Yes, so that's, it is. that's my practice. Yeah. Yay. Share with all my prayer partners. Just rest in God. That's my mantra to everybody. But anyway. Yeah. Beautiful. And the results are pretty more ma- ra- miraculous. So thank you. Thank you, Robin. I have a quick question for Diane. Diane, uh, it's been another week since you've been, uh, and I can't unmute you there. It's been another week since you made that shift into restoration instead of just getting through it, just surviving. How are you feeling? Um, Well, I'm still needing the restoration periods, but it's just the, choices that I'm making are much more along the lines of self-care than I would have made if I was along the lines of survival. So uh, I, I won't say it's it's easy peasy going, but it's definitely a better outcome. And almost every day I, I think about what you said, that um, if I keep going on the path of survival, I'm probably going to end up having a big crash and so I'm always feeling like I'm not going to have a big crash now I know that I'm just gonna you know carry on with these restoration practices throughout the day so it's 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 such a thank you so much for that and everybody it's just a way better opportunity to finish off my nursing career without a big crash and burn at the end of it so thank you yes yeah I'm glad you, 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 I can see you're feeling more vibrant. That's yeah. what it, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Little mind shifts make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
All right. Well, um, so next week we uh, we are uh, we we are we don't have class. We have a community call. So uh, my invitation to you is to be very very present in the next two weeks, with even more present than normal, to uh, really what is the source of your power. Are you giving your power to something in the world? Does anything in the world have the power to make you ill or to upset you? Where is the source of your power? And in, in all throughout your day. All right. Yes. I'm just curious, quick show of hands, is anybody thinking of joining me in August for the um, teaching uh, trainings. Anybody? Linda's, Angela, Carla. All right. So let's take that breath of love and gratitude and be so grateful and thankful for the perfect love of God shining in our heart and shining in our mind. So grateful and thankful that the source of our power is where we are. It's not outside of ourselves. So grateful to join together and partner up with the Holy Spirit to remember and recognize the source of our power. We're giving away any idea that we have invested in duality, in other powers, one power, one presence, one life. Our wholeness is now. Our awakening is now. We don't have to experience a process or a procedure. We're letting that belief dissolve and resolve permanently back to the root cause. So grateful that we don't have to earn our awakening. So grateful and thankful that we can claim it now with ease and grace unfolding and revealing. We're choosing the awakening here and now. We give thanks for it. We share it. We share the benefits with all. In gratitude, we allow it to expand and multiply all over the world. We let it be. And so it is. Amen. 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 I love you. Mwah.